Welcome to Between the Vines. My name is Kevin Martin. I'm here with Jennifer Phillips Russo. We are the Lake Erie Regional Grape Program, and we wanted to bring you another weekly update. We've actually been, well, we, we did spend a little time in the field over the last week, but um, a lot of what I think is inspiring this week's topic are conversations at the last two coffee pot meetings, at least on my end. Maybe Jennifer has a bit of a different source of inspiration. But um, we did want to talk about some of the costs uh, that growers are concerned about, and more specifically, which, which, it's not really just a cost thing, but the issues that growers have had with labor over the past, I mean, we could say forever, but it's been more of an acute problem over the past six or seven months. Um, Jen, did you want to add anything to that introduction? I don't want to really just get rolling into this because I could talk about this forever. <laughs> no, just to echo that this podcast did come out of my conversations with growers at gro not just coffee pot meetings, but also on grower farms. So it's it's obviously bigger than what we thought it was. So. Yeah, and obviously two coffee pot meetings are not a representative sample. Um, and to be honest, the last two coffee pot meetings have been in areas that are not sort of the concentration of the typical Concord grape acreage. We were in Niagara County so that we talked to some vinifera growers as well as some Concord growers. And before that, we were on um, the other side of Erie, Pennsylvania. So, you know, practically getting towards Ohio. So the industry there is a little bit different in both of those locations. Um, it, it tends to be certainly without that concentration of, of grape acreage, getting labor can be even harder for them than it is the central part of the belt. And, you know, if you're in the central part of the belt and you, you couldn't, don't think it could actually be any harder and you don't believe me, you know, come to one of those coffee pot meetings out there and, and we can, we can show you that that certain things uh, are, do become more challenging. I actually would like to just expand on that before we get into the meat of this conversation. And that's to sort of tell people what our coffee pot meetings are, if they're not familiar. So these are weekly meetings where we go to either a grower's barn or somewhere we congregate in an area that has some of our growers. And everyone just sort of talks about timely viticulture, business management, and IPM that's going on at that point in the growing season. And it's a good place. We bring coffee and donuts. It's a good place for everybody to just kind of say how it's been so far, what they're anticipating, what other people are doing. And then for us to give our research background on what's already been done to help you out. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, one of the things that I'm really curious about before we get into the labor thing is one of the things I noticed was we've seen a lot of different rising costs. Some of them have been kind of minor. I mean, it, it's concerning, but it's nothing crazy. You know, you look at the cost of um, the cost of, of fuel, for instance, and for people at the pump, there's a bit of a sticker shock there. But when you really build that into the budget of a grape grower, it does not materially affect profitability, even though we've gone from, say, a dollar a gallon to six dollars a gallon uh, over the course of the last two years. Uh, that being, you know, and there is going to be sticker shock associated with that, but it does not fundamentally change practices. Whereas you look at something like the cost of Roundup and it looked like for a little while there, maybe it would, uh, you know, it popped to $50 pretty quickly. And then all of a sudden it was a hundred and it was a little more than a hundred and it's back down to say 50 or 60 now. Um, posts pretty similarly, they've only 
only quote unquote doubled in price, which seems less significant than fuel, but we actually use posts. So you look at the actual cost per acre and it has increased on a dollar basis much more than I think fuel will. But that being said, at least over the course of these two coffee pot meetings, you look at those things and also the, the cost of fertilizer. And we, we did not see many growers talking too much about changing anything. Uh, the price of grapes is high. You know, um, a lot of things were timed correctly for, I don't know if it was luck or intuition or whatever, but, but things were purchased before they got expensive. Maybe not all of them, but some of them. And so a lot of growers were really talking about continuing to do what they know and doing the same thing that they did last year. Uh, that's obviously, I think, a little bit dangerous if you're refusing to learn anything new and these prices are here to stay for a decade. But I don't necessarily think it's a bad plan to try to learn about new practices and try to make changes or plan on or thinking about making changes in 2023. But in 2022, just sort of throwing up your hands and saying, I will learn what I can learn but right now I want to make sure I can grow a good product because prices of grapes are high. And if I can get this yield in and those prices of grapes don't change, I'm going to do well. And if I try to learn some things across all my acreage and I screw something up and I don't have that yield, yeah, I might have saved $50 an acre on Roundup because I tried something else, but I didn't get a crop. So I'm not necessarily criticizing that plan at all. I think it's a pretty good plan, especially if you're open to learning about things you could do in 2023. But that is what we've seen at coffee pot meetings. And I do just wonder if that's what we've seen, um, if that's if that's true across the entire belt. But uh, labor was a little bit different. And I think that's what we're here mostly to talk about today. Labor, I think we, we heard some things uh, that changes are being made. And I think a lot of these changes were sort of forced upon growers. I don't know if you got that impression as well, Jen. I did get that impression. So what we're trying to get at is there have been lots of discussions about labor availability for pruning throughout the winter months. I have heard from numerous, not just one or two, but numerous growers that they haven't been able to get through all of their blocks. Some of them are just finishing up now and it's the what, mid, middle of May, mid to end of May. <laughs> and it scares me a little bit because a lot of these vines went into the dormant season, <clears throat> excuse me, being a little bit stressed because of the large crop that happened last year. And people did tend to want to push vines because of the cost per ton that they were getting. So now they're going to continue going into the growing season, holding up more buds than they probably can handle. And I know that it's not just on, we've had, I've had discussions with growers on this and they're worried as well, but just finding that labor to do that work has been problematic. Hence, some of them have reached out to some of their neighbors who have pre-pruning machines and have just run through to try to get at least that pre-prune done without hand follow-up. Have you heard the same? I was going to ask you if you had heard that. I don't have a good idea of the number of acres that have just been pre-pruned. Um, if, if you think that's significant, that's really concerning, I would say. I don't know about the number of acres, but it has been concerned. I have seen the concern on the growers and it's been more than one grower. I would say at least six growers that I have talked to have said that they've not finished. And there is some substantial acreage out there that has just been pre-pruned, but I've not gone out and personally seen it. I'm just going off of what growers have told me. 
Right. So that's, I mean, that's concerning because if you look back at some of the viticulture research, right, on um, minimal pruning as a strategy, which if you did just pre-prune, what you actually did is you minimally pruned if if you don't have hand follow-up. You know, I understand that a grower might want to have hand follow-up and that I think minimally pruning has its disadvantages that the industry has become aware of. But if you sort of, the viticultural results are the same, whether you, you, minimally prune on purpose or because you don't have enough labor. Viticulturally, it's the same thing, right, in the end. And and so that result is going to end up being you haven't actually made your buds less fruitful. You've just left up more buds. Now you do this four or five years in a row, and eventually those buds are going to be less fruitful, and your vine isn't going to intentionally overcrop itself in such an extreme way. But this is where we're at right now, right, if this is and, the situation yes. you're in. And we know what you can do. You just you're going to have to um, do some some fruit thinning almost for sure if you want to maintain vine size, even if it's a good year. And also just some of that inoculum that's in there that people aren't getting to that could then further complicate things. Yeah. I mean, the inoculum, I think you just have to be aware of. I think in the first few years of, of minimally pruning, you can, you can handle the inoculum. Um, it's already too late. It's the 20th. It's raining right. again. You, a three inch spray is something we urge all growers to do. It's just a thing that minimally pruned vineyards have to have. Um, and the other thing is, yes, if as a plan, if you're going to do minimal pruning for, for 20 years, you're going to run into a point where um, there are not effective pesticides for control of diseases. So sort of this is not new. This has been happening for right. a while. You had mentioned that earlier. And um, Dr. Terry Bates and his team has actually set up a block at Clarel for different, it's hard for me to talk today. <laughs> they have been differentially pruned. So we are actually holding, he has agreed to have our growers come in and take a look at the different canopy management styles that are going on and give you maybe some options of how to approach this moving forward. Yeah, and you know, the one thing I would say is, I think a lot of growers who have been machine pruning for a while sort of are established, um, are growers who have established that as a practice, they're going to fall in line with some of the things that I, I anticipate that Terry will be demonstrating. Uh, they, they might have some things to learn for sure um, in terms of how to tailor what they're doing, but but they've already been trying to do similar things, whether or not there isn't room to grow and be a little more effective at it is a different matter, but they're trying to do that. Um, what I've seen this year as uh, mechanization was forced on more of the industry. So the growers who were probably resistant to mechanization, uh, but have found in 2022, it wasn't up to them anymore is sort of two models and the one is like the one you said they they got to a point where it was march or maybe it was even april and they pre-pruned because pre-pruning is certainly better than nothing at least then your fruit grows where it's supposed to grow right it's not on the ground right um and then the other model was using pre-pruners to speed up their crews and this was not necessarily a model that has been illustrated as one for uh those that sort of advocate for adoption of mechanization because we didn't really see any change or any significant change in how the hand follow-up pruners were paid or the job that they were doing. 
So what I mean by that is maybe they were paying 35, 40 cents a vine. And the concern was they only had four people or they only had, I don't know, 10 people, but for less days. And they were pre-pruning simply to make sure that that crew could go fast enough to finish the job. Mm -hmm. So they were still paying that 35 to 40 cents, but the crew was going faster. And you're going to probably decrease the quality of your pruning just a little bit because as mechanized as fast pruners are, they're a little bit less mechanical than an actual machine. And you're obviously not going to change your costs at all. You're just forced into this because um, there's just not enough labor. And I don't know that that's a long-term trend. You know, I think rising costs might take care of just a little bit of that. And, and hopefully mechanization has a cost savings component to it, at least a little bit. But that's not what we saw this year in some of the growers that were panicking, but we're still sticking to more of a at least hand follow up, if not hand prune vineyard. And I don't think it was really up to them. Like, I don't think they could have said, you know, if this is something you're planning on doing and you're just trying to learn from what your neighbors were doing, I don't think they could have said, hey, I just pre prune this, do some hand follow up. They said as much as they could say, which is please just keep on working as fast as you are and make sure my grapes get pruned. Like, there, when there is a shortage of labor, your ability to influence uh, that labor certainly declines. Well, I agree. And I can also state that this one particular grower who did end up borrowing a neighbor's pruner was so thankful and actually, I think, are contemplating purchasing their own now. Yeah, I would hope so. I can't imagine that borrowing a pruner is a long-term sustainable plan. Um, I, I mean, on one hand, you can cover a lot of acreage with even a single row pruner in theory, but on the other hand, there there, it typically does not take very long to pay for itself. If in normal years, you can, you can realize some savings in your hand follow-up costs. And, you know, that's not to say that hand follow-up won't cost 35 cents a vine. It's just to say, we're looking at the differential between true hand pruning and hand follow-up. If we see hand pruning go to 60 cents a vine, it, it's really not to say that if I look at 2023, the first year I did mechanical with hand follow-up, it cost me less in terms of cash than it did in 2021 when I did um, just straight up hand pruning. I, I don't think we can guarantee that by any stretch of the imagination. It's just what I expect to happen eventually uh, when it's more of a, when the labor shortage is more known over the course of the pruning season is that you'll be able to pay 40 cents instead of 50 or something like that. And if that is the case, it doesn't take very much acreage to pay for a mechanical pruner certainly less than 100 acres. Uh, when you start talking about 100 acres, you're seeing a payback period of like two or three years. But viticulturally, your vines will be healthier. And like you said, your fruit won't be on the ground. <laughs> well, right, right. I mean, depending on which, which comparison we're making. I think, I think most of the concern here and most of the audience is people who are very committed to hand pruning and it's a practice they know and it's a practice they've worked into their business model and there is some risk to change. Um, I mean, you look at some of Terry's research, we know it works, we know you can mechanize, we know you can do hand follow-up, but on a commercial level, there are challenges associated with it that these growers have not yet grasped and Terry doesn't have to because Terry's doing research. 
So one of the concerns we definitely have on a commercial level is the people who do hand, well, who do hand pruning or who do hand follow-up are the same people who do um, renewal work. So it is certainly, it is objectively more difficult to find renewal work for the majority of growers if they are doing hand follow-up because essentially hand pruning is for whatever reason, the way it's been structured is subsidizing renewal work. So unlike a normal worker who goes to McDonald's and makes $15 an hour, this person goes to a grape vineyard and well, you know, it would be like if at McDonald's, when you made burgers, you made $30 an hour. And when you made French fries, you made $5 an hour. I don't know why it's structured that way. Um, and that might be a bad example because I'm not saying they make less than minimum wage when they're doing renewal work. They do make more, but they're not willing to work for that hourly rate of, we'll say, four, $14 to $16 an hour. Uh, the only reason they are willing to do that is because they got $35, $0.40 cents a vine for pruning. Yeah, so, so trying to figure out that piece of the puzzle as more of the industry shifts away from pruning which is sort of our tool to recruit people to migrate to our region, because nobody's gonna migrate here to do renewal work unless the price changes. Uh, that part of the model is something that I think the industry is gonna have to figure out over the next five years. Um, well, if you are interested in coming to see what those different pruning canopies look like, our meeting is gonna be held on June 2nd of 2022, and that is at Clarel at the Cornell Lake Erie Research and Extension Laboratory in Portland, New York. It's going to be held from 11.30 a.m. to 1, and it's just an informal walkthrough talking with Dr. Terry Bates and his team on what they do and how they go about it and how it's shaped the canopies. And yeah, perfect. Uh, I think all of our growers should come to that because even if you're not considering a change, one may be forced upon you. Even if you changed 15 years ago, I think as our grape market changes and our labor market changes, there is also room to change your viticulture practices to fit those current realities. So there's always something to learn. Thank you. Uh, but if I can loop back to the coffee pot meetings, one of the most dramatic things I think we saw from both of those coffee pots, and I think I illustrated, we could not be more for, we could not be further apart. Like we were at both ends of the region. Mm -hmm. um, we, we've skipped the middle. We'll be there this coming week. But we we had in both places farms reporting an increase in H2A worker activity. Um, that is not necessarily surprising because I've talked to these farms over the winter and we, we sort of knew it was coming. What I would say there is what I would say about all hourly workers. So there, there is a growing shift towards paying by the hour to do pruning work. It almost always makes sense to pre-prune in that case. It certainly does with H2A workers where the hourly rate is higher. Um, costs were, uh, were variable. Um, because you know all of these growers are taking what their costs were and they're trying to translate it to a cost per vine because that's what they're used to and that's how you you know to them that's what the productivity that matters and we're seeing sort of anything from 48 cents a vine to 75 cents a vine um, so the importance of pre-pruning for a worker that is not experienced at pruning but is very experienced maybe in working in agriculture and can do sort of that that rapid movement and repetitive work and is good at it, but maybe hasn't ever pruned grapes, the pre-pruner benefits those workers more than it does a traditional migrant worker who has experience, more experience pruning grapes. 
Um, that being said, I'm pretty sure we don't have a lot of great data, but just anecdotally, it probably always makes sense to pre-prune just because of the low cost associated with pre-pruning. If you are paying by the hour, you just don't have to speed them up that much. Um, the only report I heard from a grower, and this was at a coffee pot, was it wasn't a great year to do pre-pruning because their vines were so stressed out that there wasn't any good wood and they wanted more selective pruning. They didn't get that selective pruning anyway. That labor has pretty much gone. You can get hand pruning. There's a lot of hand pruning still being done, probably 12 to 15,000 acres worth, but they're not selective as they were in the 1980s. Um, so you may want that, but it just doesn't exist. And I think that's a good reminder of why we, we need to change our viticultural practices to respond to the current reality. And, and that's not a jab at the industry. I think in that area, they've done a great job of already doing that. It was just last year was a big crop year and people took advantage of it to, as much as they could. And probably what we would say is to a greater extent than they may be, it should have, um, yeah. Certainly, we could say that about a few thousand acres. You know, I wouldn't say that. Yeah, I wouldn't say that, you know, looking back and hindsight is 2020 that 30,000 acres should have been thinned. You know, I think that would be that would be a leap from reality. But but we could say pretty confidently that a lot of growers would have done really well if another three or four thousand acres had been thinned. And I think they know it as well. We've had. Uh -huh. Yes, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> right. You know, I think. I think last year, if you look at sort of weather in the post-Eurasian um, time, it was pretty normal, which was weird because it hadn't been in so long. And you so you rainy. Yeah. <laughs> <coughs> you know, I mean, we're we were looking at bricks accumulation in the in prior years with crop loads that were pretty high that were just nuts. And we were looking at very, very modest bricks accumulation in, in vineyards that were overcropped last year. So, you know, that's, you know, that's what we, that was what we expect. Um, most growers need to plan, maybe not for an average year on all of their acreage, but they need to plan it, You know, you can't plan for the best year ever, every single year, it, it will eventually catch up to you. That being said, you know, I think, the industry as a whole is in a very good position. Almost all the growers did get their crop harvested because the prices are being what they are. Um, even if it came in at at the end with slightly lower bricks, especially if they were at least 14.5 or 15, depending on where you were delivering, none of it matters. Everything, everything was, many of those acres had a lot of yield and, it, and were paid quite a bit per ton. So we can make these adjustments or not make these adjustments as we need to or as we want to in terms of higher prices and labor shortages. So planning for next year. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and I guess that's that's the rub is that um, we don't expect crop yields to be what they were. No, about 30 percent less. And 30% less is a model. Some people are gonna be 0% less and some people are gonna be down much more significantly than 30%. Mm -hmm. Prices may maintain or at least be close to maintaining. Um, so whatever tonnage you do get should be multiplied by a relatively decent number, at least based on what we know right now, that reality could certainly change, but we don't see anything pointing in that dire direction that's, that's 
significant. I mean, we could miss by 40 or $50 a ton, but there's nothing that indicates that we would miss by more than that. Um, but all of these other costs are going to continue. Also, the expectation is with the exception of Roundup, these other costs may stay just as high. So would you advise people looking into securing H2A or possibly changing to a pre-perner now for next season, or are you a wait and see? Because Yeah, I think the easiest solution is pre-pruning and trying to establish local labor that works with pre-pruners, um, as in use your current labor and start educating them or recruiting them now to do something different. Maybe and bring them, them along on the second. And, and likely continue to pay them or, or start to pay them handsomely for their efforts to motivate that change. And I think it goes beyond payment as well. I think we've seen growers starting to use other tools to recruit pruning crews um, in the same way that other employers are. So it, it isn't always just money. And I think that's important to keep in mind. I think sometimes growers forget that because, because of the seasonality of the work in the grape industry, they don't necessarily feel like these employees are employees. Um, they're, they, they're not treated as an integral part of the business. Uh, it's just more of a cash transaction. So if we can move away from that, it's going to cost money, at, at least to move it in a way that move away from that in a way that those workers value um, will cost money, but it might help your recruiting process. And, and, you know, I think try to do, I would try to do that if I were a grower before I got into H2A, because if I could put all the money I was going to put into H2A, into that local first workforce, what would I get out of it? So what I did see are growers who might pay 50 cents a vine, um, in a, and in addition to that, be providing housing, housing and entertainment, um, and doing things for these workers in terms of making them part of the farm culture that we never did for the local workforce. So what would you get out of a local workforce if you tried that? And I, I don't have any promises or guarantees that, that it will work, but it seems simpler to me to try it with the workers you at least already trust to do the job if that's what you have, than it does to try to recruit workers who haven't been in grapes to do it. Now that all being said, the growers who are doing H2A, some of them, especially the ones that did H2A themselves, are happy with the results. So this is not necessarily a knock on H2A, but they did spend a lot of time and invested in getting those workers here over the winter months, and they paid people to help them do it. So it is not an easy process. If you approach it like it is an easy process, you'll fail at it. If you approach it like it's a nightmare and you put the time and effort and energy towards it, I think it can probably be pretty successful, but it's definitely going to be different and it's not going to be sort of the, um, I mean, I, I've heard people complain about pruning for the last 10 years, but as a small business owner, it's really not terrible in the sense that you pay people 30, 30, 35, now 40 cents a vine. They show up, you don't even know they're there. They prune your grapes, they ask for money and it's done. And there's almost no oversight or management. And in other industries, if you tried to do that, you wouldn't get any work. So <laughs> it, it becomes much more like a normal work 
relationship when you switch to H2A. They need a supervisor, they need training, they need uh, support. All of those things need to happen for an H2A worker to be successful. And you know, if you think about it, it's very obvious why that is the case, right? They're, they're not from here, they probably don't speak the language. And by not from here, I mean, they're literally not from here. I don't mean that maybe they immigrated 15 years ago. I mean, they don't live here. They don't know the street names. Um, and and they, you know, they don't know grapes. Most of them have never been in a grape vineyard. So, so why would they be able to do that job without support? I mean, it would right. be impossible. So the only other thing I would say is a lot of times in Washington state, we don't have enough experience here but H2A workers can be repetitive, meaning eventually they do get the lay of the land. Uh, you will still need to provide transportation and things like that, but, but you will get, sometimes you will get the same workers back that become familiar with grapes. Uh, they even become familiar with the area. So um, the first year will probably be the least efficient year and it will get better. And I think that's why a lot of our growers are happy with H2A is because they survived that first year they see yeah. the writing on the wall that it's going to get better. And it really wasn't that bad the first year, but you do have to adjust your expectations. If you don't adjust your expectations, you're going to look at it and just say, that's an abject disaster compared mm -hmm. to what I was doing five years ago. Right. So okay. you, either option is viable, but just keep planning and getting ready for 2023. Cause there's a good chance either 2023, 24 or 25 is going to be a whole lot harder than this year. Thank you for that. That's that's all I have for this week. Uh, look forward to seeing you guys at the upcoming coffee pot meeting, yes. and that meeting that Jen was talking about here at Clarell is right around the corner. Just uh, is it two weeks away? Is that right? June second, June second, eleven. So less than two weeks, thirteen days away, and probably less by the time you you listen to this. Right. <laughs> all right. Thanks a lot. We'll see you next week. If you have any questions, if you want to, uh, you know, participate in this conversation or, or sort of direct it, let us know what you want to hear about and we'll be happy to oblige. Thank you. Have a great week, everyone.